Hello and welcome to another episode of Use of Force. This week we were walking the Three Bridges of Brooklyn and we will be speaking about an incident that happened in Bushwick where a 17-year-old young man named Antoine White was killed by an off-duty detective. And as we always do, we start this these episodes by reading the NYPD use of force before discussing further what happened. This occurred in 2012. On January 29 at 2346 hours in the 83rd precinct, an off-duty detective discharged his firearm in self-defense at a perpetrator. The detective was leaving his residence when he noticed that two men were following him. One of the men, the subject, struck the detective with a wooden cane. The detective took out his shield and identified himself as an officer, and the subject tried to strike the detective with the cane again. The detective discharged his firearm once, striking the suspect in the forearm and the chest, causing his demise. The other perpetrator was later apprehended. Both individuals have extensive arrest history for violent crimes, including robbery and assault. So, in all the reporting I was able to find about this, it there, there actually isn't that much more information, to be completely honest. The, the reports basically say that Antoine White and one other young man, a 15-year-old, um, were both attempting to rob this off-duty detective. The 15-year-old isn't identified anywhere that I could find, and the detective also wasn't identified, so that sort of limits the amount of further searching that we can do on our end. But what, I guess, some additional details are that in this moment, the the 15-year-old, so the other person that was with Antoine White, was either had a gun or was acting as though he had a gun. That's There's different reports say different things. And once the shooting by the officer happened, the... 15-year-old ran away and then was brought brought himself in the next day with his grandmother. Mm-hmm. So I guess that just adds a little bit of context to the actual moment in time when this all went down. Mm-hmm. The area that this happened apparently had been, wasn't well lit. And there had been a lot of different muggings and attempted rapes and sort of violent crime happening right on that street and right in that area. There were some neighbors that were interviewed and people were saying that, you know, they walk in the middle of the street when they were going to the train instead of walking on the sidewalk because it was safer. They, you know, then you can see people coming. But... It seems like 
it was something that they that was known this area was a known prot like a place that needed some better infrastructure at the least some lighting maybe you know maybe some police on duty looking out it apparently was something that had been asked for yeah and there is now very bright lights right on knickerbocker not a not necessarily at exactly the corner of knickerbocker and grove but on the way to there there is basically like floodlights, which I noticed without even knowing the context of that mm. particular aspect that people were looking for. It. Yeah. it also happens to be only two blocks away from the precinct. Right. Yeah, which is kind of... That's kind of surprising to me that... But at the same time, not surprising because I do know, you know, walking around New York, you can kind of one depending on how it's the infrastructure like lighting one block can feel one way and the other block can feel another way and people choose where they're going especially at night based on which areas feel like you can maintain the most safety for yourself mm -hmm. so another thing that i learned while i was reading about this is that Antoine White was in foster care and he had actually been missing, uh, or at least according to his mother, they interviewed his mother and she was obviously very upset. And she said that her son had been in foster care for at least the last four years. And he had actually been in a group home but had been missing since September 30th. So he had been missing for almost uh, four, th about three and a half months at this point. Mm. And there isn't really, no one really sort of followed up with that. There's no mention of what was the group home he was in, you know, were people out looking for him? Was there any regard for whether he was doing okay? But I also think it gives a little more context maybe to why um, this young man would have been trying to rob someone in the first place. If he's, you know, missing from his group home, he's not, I guess, not living somewhere stable. And I mean, here I'm just assuming, but maybe just trying to figure out a way to support himself, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. To survive. To survive, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the idea that the use of force report describes him as having an extensive criminal history, mm -hmm. and he's 17 years old. Right. Just is another example of, uh, I mean, I guess the most charitable thing you could say is the, the, the loose non-formatted uh, language that is used to, to write these things where, I guess, depending on the person, uh, it's, it's going to be more biased or less biased. And it, I mean, it, it's almost to a T, every last sentence is written in order to make you, excuse, like, just forget about the incident. 
Right. Right. It's true. And it's, it's so, the, the details are only included when it is beneficial to the police in the use of force. The details as far as extensive criminal history is just so incredibly vague. Like, what is that? He's 17 years old. Right. There, I don't think you could describe anything about a 17-year-old. It's extensive. No. No. The one, and then none of the sort of reporting goes into it either. The only thing that I could find was that he was involved in a gang called the Muckers. But when I looked up the Muckers, there's, it literally isn't mentioned anywhere yeah. on the internet. Um, one thing I did find, which is a bit of a tangent, but, but related when I was trying to find this Muckers gang, I found that just a couple of days ago, actually, there was a pretty big gang arrest in Brooklyn and they arrested 19 people and in one of the articles that was showing that was talking about it you know it's all still these this is now 2021 that we're in and the language is still fear-based it talks about how they've been perpetrating all these shootings and how there've been all the, just so much violence in Brooklyn recently and how they're getting these people off the streets and then they show pictures and it's 19 teen, teenage boys of color and i don't i just it's challenging because There's no explanation or mention or digging or story about how any of these kids got involved with this sort of violent behavior. All we're seeing is their mugshots and being told that these are dangerous people and being told that this isn't the extent also that this is only part of the gang. So it sets up this situation where if you, you know, we've talked a lot about dangerous neighborhoods and it sets up this situation where you're subconsciously going to be sort of looking at some people and not looking at others when thinking about your safety. Mm -hmm. This type of reporting that is just only one part of the story and still is more interested in fear and dehumanization than giving people a chance to really process how we could solve these problems before they start and how we could try to rehabilitate people and give people an option you know, most of these kids are not even 18 years old. Right. Yeah, it's focused on the punitive and the justification of law enforcement and not focused on the fact that these are all children. Right. Or young adults at the most generous that obviously did not have great guidance up till this point in their lives. Right. And 
even if maybe maybe they did have good guidance, but it was overshadowed by the circumstances that they have in life. Yeah, I mean, the, to handle them as uh, criminals in any meaningful way at this stage is, it, it's just not a complete story and it's not really going to solve anything. Yeah. I think it's also just sort of an unfortunate, I guess it's just, it's, it's more, I think, about the, the full environment that might need to change in some ways too, because even reading about this more recent Brooklyn gang takedown, as they say, there, there is some story about how, just one thing that stood out to me was that they, well, I guess two things. They give each other nicknames, um, and a lot of their nicknames are famous basketball players because mm-hmm. it's a, they're good shooters, mm-hmm. which is just like, I feel like so many young teens can look up to basketball players and it's just unfortunate that this, it gets twisted into gun violence as opposed to, you know, looking up to basketball players and then wanting to play basketball or something like that. And then the other thing that stood out to me was that they, at least this particular gang that was just recently um, in the news, they were using what they called a community gun. So it was a gun that they would stash somewhere in public, hidden, where if anyone needed to use it, they could go get it Mm -hmm. and then put it back. Mm -hmm. And... Again, it just feels like it's such a unfortunate environment. Like that, if if we think about that as not a gun, but as something that is still illegal for teens to have, like, but put it in the suburbs. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of groups of friends in the suburbs that are stashing a bottle of alcohol or some cigarettes or something, you know, something that isn't going to really harm anyone else and isn't going to get them into the same level of trouble. But it's a similar thought process of I'm sharing this kind of exciting and adrenaline pumping activity with my friends and Yeah, it makes everybody complicit and it forms community as a consequence of everybody being in the same boat. Yeah. You know, you can't tell on anybody. And yeah, everybody gets closer. You get this sense of community, but it's in this most corrosive way possible. Yeah. In a way, and and they also happen to be, their skin color happens to put them at a disadvantage in the society. So it's not, it's not like, people of color or people in urban communities are inherently more dangerous or something. The the behavior is going on everywhere. It's just that the 
the stakes are a lot higher because the system, the faceless, humanless system is constructed to punish these types of kids more harshly. Right. Right. And I think, I mean, we've said it before, and we're not the only people that are saying this, but obviously the the system itself needs to be figured out and fixed and they're from the from the most basic spaces within the system I believe because right now we're kind of anytime you're arresting 19 young people you're just sort of dealing with what's on the surface you're not actually curing anything that that causes any of this you're not actually helping the root cause of the problem you're just sort of dealing with the aftermath of this these systemic failures yeah i mean i i don't think the solution is to do nothing unfortunately I mean, yeah. it, right now, this is the only intervention that exists. It's just a, it shows that there's a tremendous failing right now and that we need to expedite. Because this is an unjust what is happening right now. Right. And it's, it can't be unchecked, but this is the, this is the worst version of how we could be dealing with this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I agree with you. It obviously, the, the issues that are arising do need to be dealt with in real time, but there also needs to be a lot more attention given to making so that, you know, kids that are being born right now aren't being arrested in 15 years because of gang violence. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's important to involve law enforcement in these conversations so long as they're not trying to politicize it, make it about, well, we need more money, we need more people, you know, yeah. the, it really needs to have honest, thoughtful conversations where you talk to people that have been around for a really long time and you can get them to, to communicate, you know, if they've been seeing the same thing for decades, what are some alternatives? Right. Right. And I think, you know, I think people that have really done Within both both in and out of law enforcement, I think people that have participated in really reckless decision making should be held accountable. But I also think that these conversations need to happen in ways that don't make people get defensive and don't make people scared and aren't vindictive, but rather are forward thinking and coming from a place of let's work together and figure this out for the best of everyone. Yeah. So I think we can leave it there for this week. Uh, as, as always, if anyone has things to share with us, um, we are all ears and thank you for listening. Bye.